ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read one text out of the scriptures today and the rest are in your notes. So while, you, while you're getting your notes, let me just explain to you something. Um, in order to fit everything on this little sheet of paper, I was not able to print out the scriptures like I normally would when we're going to cover a lot of scriptures. And I normally print them out because if we took the time to turn to each one of them, we'd be here longer than you anticipated. And we do like to stick to a schedule. So what I've given you is the reference and, and, and kind of a highlight of the scripture. So what you have in your notes is a direct quote from the scripture, but it's not the whole scripture. I'm going to be reading you the whole scripture. So you can go home and you can look these up and you can check to make sure that's what it says. And you can follow through, but I wanted you to have the reference and the highlight, and then we're going to talk about each one of these. So, in your notes, you see we're starting a whole new series, and it's called My Place in This World. It's going to be a short series, three to four Sundays. And this is just something that God put on my heart that we want to talk about. And today's the first half of the first sermon. So there's this, like, I need, I need the introduction to be long enough to really lay a groundwork, because what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks requires an understanding of what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to talk about some things that are very interesting, and, and maybe some things you've noticed or not noticed from Scripture, uh, but we're going to lay a foundation, and it, it should be enjoyable for you, because this is some fun stuff to talk about, but it's going to take us somewhere we need to go. So the, the sermon title today is, Who Did God Create Me to Be? That's a big question today. Who did God create me to be? What is my role? What's my identity? What's my future? What, what am I supposed to do? And we've talked about several things that are found in Scripture, like we're an ambassador, and we're a light, and we're salt, and we're these kinds of things. And we're going to take a different route and, and look, at, look at a little bit more. So let's just start in our notes. It says, God has given a lot of time, taken up a lot of space in Scripture, and devoted a lot of energy to establishing position and role into His ways and His will. And that's what I want to show you today. I want to show you that God really has taken a lot of energy and spent a lot of words so that we get this concept and this is a concept that Satan is fighting against, and I want to reclaim it. So a couple of examples that will not be in our notes, we're not going to really talk about, is the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was a chosen people with a chosen purpose. It doesn't mean that God loved the Jewish people more than he loved the other people. His, his death was sufficient for their sins as well as the Jews. But they were a chosen people. They had a specific job to do. And so God was using them in that way. Within the nation of Israel, we have the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi was given a special job among the others. It didn't make them more important or less important. It just gave them a job. They had a position to hold. And, and so we see that type of thing in Scripture. And I want to talk about the Trinity today. Trinity is a fascinating topic. I enjoy it a lot. And I want to read, the reason I had you turn to Matthew chapter 3 is I want to see 
I want us to read what I think is the most obvious place in Scripture that we find the Trinity. So Matthew chapter 3, starting with verse 13, we'll read through the end of the chapter. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Here's the important part for today's discussion. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. So in one event, really all at the same time, we, we hear the Father speaking, we see the Spirit descending and, and, and landing on Jesus somehow. We don't know exactly what that looked like or what it would have been, but it, it's, in, it's in three of the Gospels very clearly. And then we have Jesus being baptized. So we have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. There is no other way to read that. That's what makes it so clear, and that's what makes it so valuable. So... There's a certain way of thinking that says that God is the Father sometimes and the Son sometimes and the Holy Spirit sometimes. It's called modalism. And this clearly says, no, that's not true. And, and there's the idea that, well, Jesus wasn't really around until he was born. And then when he rose and he's something else now, no, not true. We have the Father, we have the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can also see them at the trans transfiguration and if you study the creation story, you, you hear them mentioned over and over again. So all three are present at, at various times. This is the most obvious. All three are present. So with that in mind, that there are three persons of the Trinity who all make up God, and, and I would say the capital G, capital O, capital D God, the, the full encompassing God, there's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They all make up God. And with that in mind, now we can look at each one individually. So A in your notes, the Father is the controller, manager, and power source. And so when you think of the Father, we should view him in those terms. He's, he's in control. He's calling the shots. He's making the plans. He's determining right and wrong. He's establishing morality. He, he chose to create. He is the one of the Trinity who's in charge of everything. And let's look at these passages. John 12, 49. Jesus speaking says, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So we see Jesus who was walking on the earth as the Son of God, who, remember, was able to heal, able to walk on water, able to calm the storm, able to turn water into wine. He was able to bring life from death. He was able to do all these things, proving he was God. Yet he said, I didn't say anything on my own. I only said what the Father told me to say. So the Father holds the position of telling Jesus what to say. And, and we can take that even farther. On many occasions he speaks about being subject to the Father and doing the will of the Father. So we see the Father in a managerial role, he's in control. John 14, 28, again, Jesus says, You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. 
If you love me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. What does that mean, the Father is greater than I? Well, he, he holds a greater position of authority. The Father ha- holds a greater position of power. He is the one that wields the power, if you will. And so Jesus again says, I, I am subject to, or I am underneath the Father in this way. Matthew 28, 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Who has the power and authority to give power and authority to Jesus? Well, the Father does. And he said, now that they basically, what he's saying is, now that I've, I've died and risen, now I have been restored. I have all the authority. The Father has given me all the authority. I speak to you now with with all authority. And then he gave them instructions. Genesis 1-3, it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. So the, the very voice of God permeates power. Power comes from it. He spoke, and creation took place. So when we hear of God the Father, we, we don't think of someone who walked on this earth. We, we don't think of someone who lives within us. We think of the Father as described in Scripture as the person in charge of everything, the person who hands out assignments, the person who hands out authority, the person who who has the the power to give so that you can be successful. He's, He's the manager. Now, these are words we don't usually assign to God because we just call God the Father, and we kind of understand this. But I want you to be really clear God the Father has a specific role inside the Trinity. And we've talked before, and we'll say it again over and over again, they are equal. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal. Equal in every way, yet they hold different positions. That was the Father. Oftentimes we read about the Holy Spirit and the Son praying to the Father. Again, there's a position. Let's look at the Holy Spirit. Be in your notes. The Holy Spirit is the comforter, teacher, conscience, and revealer of truth. These are very specific things that that are his job. These are the things that he does and has control of in the Trinity. John 14, 26 says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, here the Father sending, Okay, that the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. This is Jesus speaking to the apostles. And he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to teach you everything. Now, he didn't teach them physics and, and astrophysics and that kind of stuff. He taught them everything they needed to know to accomplish God's will. So when they spoke, it was accurate to Scripture. Many things they said and wrote down became Scripture. He said, I'm going to teach you everything you need to know, and I'm going to remind you of everything that Jesus said. So the Holy Spirit, to them, was a teacher and a reminder, and guess what? He's a teacher and reminder to us. He teaches us things we need to know, usually using Scripture, because that's the main source of communication today. He also works through our conscience. And he speaks to us as he lives inside of us. And he reminds us of what Jesus said and what the prophets said and what the apostles said so that we can live accordingly. So he's a teacher. He, he, he helps form our conscience. John 16, 7 and 8 
says, but verily I tell you, it is good for, it is, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So he has that teaching role again. He's a, he's a revealer of truth. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to reveal the truth that the world is wrong. The world does not know what it's talking about when it talks about sin and righteousness and God and about future judgment. The world is wrong. The Holy Spirit's going to reveal that. He's a revealer of truth. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 10 says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom. The things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. So God the Father has revealed to us things we need to know, wisdom we need to have, and it comes through the Holy Spirit. So God the Father has a role, the Holy Spirit has a role. They're not the same role, though they are both God. So within the Trinity, we have at least two separate roles. The Holy Spirit is the comfort of the teacher, conscience and revealer of truth. Let's go to C. We're going to talk about Jesus, the Son. So Jesus is the Christ, Savior, God's voice on earth, and the commander of the angel armies. And by the way, please understand that, that e either one of these, A, B, and C, could be a, a sermon all to itself. A couple of them could be a sermon series all to themselves. I'm just giving you the highlights so that you're very clear that, that what I'm telling you is accurate, and you can see the differences between the three. So Jesus is the Christ, or the Messiah. He's the Savior, the one who forgives our sins, the voice of God on earth. Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins comes through Christ. Let me, let me say that differently. God the Father did not die on the cross for our sins. The Holy Spirit did not die on the cross for our sins. The Son, Jesus Christ, did die on the cross for our sins. So it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we're forgiven. It's by his act, by his sacrifice, that we can be saved. John 1, 1 through 5 says, In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him was, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is how John introduces his book that he wrote. And it says, in the beginning, way back at the very beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God. So the Word is not God. Okay, we could say the Word was with God. The Word was with God the Father would be our, our understanding here. So the Word, whatever the Word is, was with the Father. And the Word was God. So it was not only with God, it was God. So it has to be a member of the Trinity. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. And without Him nothing was made. So we have a clear identity of two people here. 
Now later on in the same chapter, John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. The Word became flesh and dwelt among men. The Word, in verse 1, is Jesus Christ. So it could have said, in the beginning, Jesus existed, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light of Jesus shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He could have said that. Why didn't he? Why didn't he just say Jesus? I think he was trying to communicate something about Jesus. He said he called him the Word. Jesus was God's best communication about himself given to humanity. When we want to know who God is and what God's all about, we need to study Jesus. He is God's clearest communication to mankind about himself. In the beginning was the Word. Joshua 5, 13 through 15 says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, they looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? And realize this is right before they're going to they're gonna go and attack Jericho. This is, he's out there trying to figure out what they're going to do, and he sees this person. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. These things indicate that this was God speaking to him. Which part of God was speaking? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you it was Jesus. That's the, that's the common understanding here. The commander of the army of the Lord. We also see Jesus leading the armies of the Lord in Revelation when he comes back for the last time to defeat Satan. So it's not an unusual reference. So we have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit, each of them playing different roles within the Trinity. Each member of the Trinity has a different position and a different role to play. Yet they are equal. Let's look at D in your notes. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit both have unique and overlapping roles. Sometimes the roles overlap, sometimes they're very unique. Where do they overlap? Well, creation, they overlap. All three are mentioned at various times as having roles in creation. Matter of fact, all three are given credit for creation in Scripture. Their roles have overlapped. When we studied spiritual gifts, we found out that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all play a role in us receiving and, and working out our spiritual gift. They all played a role. And in sanctification, that process of becoming who God wants us to be, all three play a role in that. So the Son, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have both unique and overlapping roles within the Trinity, yet are all God, are all sovereign, and are all to be worshipped. So, so they, are, they are equal to each other. They are the same as one another. They are all God, but they have different positions. And I want to keep saying that, and, and eventually you're going to go, oh, I get it. They're all God, but they have different roles and different positions, and that's going to be very relevant in the near future. E, there is no hierarchy in value. 
significance, power, attributes, or importance. We don't say that God the Father is all-knowing and, and, and the Holy Spirit is all-present. They're all all-knowing. They're all omniscient. They're all sovereign. We, we don't eliminate qualities depending on who we're talking about. We don't say, well, if I have to live without one, I choose to live without the Holy Spirit. doesn't work that way. We, we, we'd say, well, uh, the Holy Spirit's really important, so I choose to, to not have Jesus. It doesn't work that way. They're all together. They're all one. Yet there's no hierarchy. There's no assigned value different from the other one. They all have equal importance. Without one, we don't have the others. There is, however, simply a division of roles, positions, or assignments, if you will. There's a division of roles. Here's, here's a rule of thumb. Rule of thumb means it's not always true and it's not perfect, but it's the best I could come up with. Okay, so I've been using this rule of thumb for a long time. I've been saying it out loud for a long time. It generally works on all occasions unless you think hard to find where it doesn't. So don't do that. Okay, so rule of thumb. When you read about God in Scripture, here's the rule of thumb. The Father is managing from heaven. So commands, uh, power, authority, things that come down to earth from heaven, that's the Father. The Holy Spirit interacts with man and interacts with nature and the world in intangible ways. Intangible, which means you can't see, hear, or touch. So the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. We don't move him to the left if we have heartburn. Right? He's, he's there, not tangible. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. He doesn't, he doesn't get up close and whisper in our ear. He speaks to our heart and to our mind. The Holy Spirit does, does all the intangible things. All right? He gives us our spiritual gift. The Son... When it comes to earthly matters, is the tangible one. He, he handles the tangible work on earth. He literally was born. He literally was raised as a child, lived a sinless life. He literally died on a cross and then rose again. He actively and tangibly did these things. His friends saw him, heard him, touched him, interacted with him, saw him regularly. He was the tangible work. That's why one of the reasons that when the commander of the army of God before Joshua said, take off your shoes, this is holy ground, meaning you're, you're talking to God, they believe that was God the Son. Okay, the, the person, the fourth person in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was the Son. Why didn't we call him Jesus then? Because he hadn't been named that yet. He hadn't become a human and, and walked on earth the way he did. So the Father is managing from heaven. The Holy Spirit is taking care of all the intangible things on earth. And the Son is taking care of the tangible work. Who's going to come back leading the, the angel armies to defeat Satan? Jesus is. Who's going to sit on the throne during the thousand-year reign? Jesus is. He's going to keep doing this. This is how it's going to work. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all part of God. They don't argue about who's more important. They don't argue about who gets to make the decisions. They work together. They are equal, yet they have separate identities and separate roles and separate positions. If we get that, then so many other things make sense. 
Because God takes who he is, and he transfers that to who we are. And he says, this is how I want you to be. This is how I want you to live. This is what I want you to, uh, to become. And, and one of the things he wants us to become is people that can work together, live together, without arguing about who's most important and who's most valuable and whose job is the best and who gets to do this and who gets to do that. But he wants us to take our assigned roles, do them for his glory and for his kingdom and for the betterment of society and the church, so that people can see the body of Christ, being the body of Christ, ask their questions, hear the gospel, and become saved. That's how he wants us to be. Now this concept has been shown in other places. So number two in your notes, it says church administration. The administration of the church works much like the Trinity, by the design of God. So in your notes, we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We find that list in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. And it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. This is the foundation of the church. Now the apostles and the prophets, we don't have them anymore. They're not running around doing what prophets and apostles did. These were capital A apostles, capital P prophets. They spoke for God, from God, to God's people under his instruction. Their writings and their sayings became scripture. They produced scripture. That's how clearly they spoke from God. Well, we have the scripture today. We don't need anybody producing more scripture. We have all the truth we need. The apostles and the prophets are offices that are no longer filled because the need is no longer there. Their work has been complete. And when the work of the evangelist and the pastor and the teacher is complete, they will no longer exist either. But that will not come until we're in the presence of God. We won't need an evangelist in heaven. We won't need a pastor or a teacher. Probably. So those things have gone, but we have these others. And, and these are people who have been called. They've been assigned. I, I want you to know... That not a day in my life for one second of time in my life until I was a freshman in college did I have any clue whatsoever or any desire whatsoever to be a pastor. Did not want that. Was not interested. I had big plans that were going to be successful. And, and, I, and they were just all the things I wanted to do. And then God said, hey, you, I want you to do this. I want you to go into ministry. And it took me about three weeks to figure that out with daily calling. And when I said yes, then everything changed. I was called to be a pastor, youth pastor for 25 years, and then the pastor here for the last eight years. It's a calling. Evangelists are called, pastors are called, teachers are called. And yeah, they may have upfront ministries, but they're no more important than the person called to the behind-the-scenes ministry. Without the behind-the-scenes ministers, the upfront ministers can't do their job. And God says, we're all in a family together. We all have parts. Every part is important. There's no greater part or lesser part. Matter of fact, he says that sometimes I'm going to honor what seems to be the lesser part just to show you that all the parts are equal. B in your notes, we have elders. 1 Timothy 5.17 says the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of a double honor, especially those who work at preaching and teaching. So we have the title elder in this passage, 
And I chose this one because it also tells us what they do. They direct the affairs of the church, and they preach and teach. So God has assigned some to be elders, and their job is to direct the affairs of the church, preach and teach, but he doesn't say the elders are the best. doesn't say they're the greatest. never says they're the most important. Matter of fact, if you have an elder who walks around and says, I'm the most important, I'm the greatest, they are disqualified from being an elder and need to be removed. If a pastor ever stands up and says, you can't do this without me, the church will fail without me, you should fire them on the spot because God has something better in store. No, no position in the church is greater than another. We, we hear that when we talk about the, the church as a body. We got very clear on that. But he has established elders. And he said, my elders have this job. C is deacons. Deacons is another position in the church to help the church function. Philippians 1.1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus of Philippi. He's addressing his letter. Together with the overseers and the deacons. I chose this passage because overseer is just another word for elder. It, it includes both the title and the description, and it's separate from deacons. So in the church, we have elders and deacons. Both have separate roles. Both have separate uh, qualifications. Both have separate jobs to do. One is not greater than another. They work within the structure of the church that God created. So D, all men are equal in God's eyes, yet some have been given special roles, jobs, or positions by which they are to serve him. Without the division of roles, we would not accomplish much of God's will in the church. Let me use the language from before. God has assigned a variety of people, a variety of jobs. Some jobs are unique, and some jobs are overlapping. So sometimes different leaders will work together. Sometimes they'll work alone. The jobs are overlapping, but they are all significant and important, and there's no hierarchy. So God has designed the church to work in the image of the Trinity. His existence is the example by which we exist. And so we see that in church administration. Number three in your notes, we also see it in spiritual gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. When we studied spiritual gifts, we talked about the, the gift, all, all kinds of gifts. Uh, serving, administration, knowledge, teaching, all these gifts. Some are up front, some are behind the scenes. And A in your notes, each gift is unique. It's given by the Holy Spirit. Each gift is unique, yet vital to the success of the church. Again, many of the gifts overlap. So our spiritual gifts reflect God's way of doing things, giving positions and giving jobs to certain people. Number four, the family and there's no verses here because this is where we're going to spend time next week and the week after that. The family is specifically designed by God to function in a certain way. The husband has a role. The wife has a role. When the husband becomes a father, he has another role. When the wife becomes a mother, she has another role. When our children leave and they have kids and we become grandparents, we have a role. And the child has a role. God has assigned identities and roles to these people. 
Okay, as individuals, number five, God has made us male and female, and he assigned roles and positions and requirements for the male and the female. Male and female, husband and wife, father and mother, they were not created to compete with one another. They were created to complete one another. Remember that? Eve was made to complete Adam. And since Adam was already there, he was also the completion for Eve. We were not made to compete with one another. We were made to complement one another and complete one another. And we're going to talk about all that. One of Satan's big lies, and the reason we have to talk about all this, is that anyone can be anything at any time, and nobody has anything to say in the matter. That's a lie from Satan. It's a lie you're going to hear if you turn on the TV today. It's a lie you're going to hear if you listen to secular music today. It's the lie you're going to hear in a variety of books that you open up and read today. It's a lie you're going to hear at school. It's a lie you're going to hear at college. It's a lie you're going to hear in some churches. I don't know how much these kind of things hit your Google page, but my Google page this week has been full of people responding to this guy in Atlanta that did this big worship service on Easter that was as pagan as you can get. It was terrible. And he got a lot of attention. And this is, this is people believing Satan's lie. That Jesus can be whoever you want to make him. The Holy Spirit can be whoever or whatever you want him to be. The Father can be whoever you want him to be. You can assign the identities and the realities. Satan wants us to forget how God has designed things. So that we start living and acting outside of God's design... And then outside of God's design, we start dishonoring God and disobeying God. And then we're not sharing the gospel. We're not bringing people to the truth of, of Jesus Christ. It's all part of the master plan. Satan has tried to redefine God. He's tried to redefine the church. He is trying to redefine the family. And now he's trying to redefine the very image of God that was created within us. And when I say he's trying, uh, your reaction should have been, and he's doing a really good job so far. Satan has taken the long game. He's taken uh, all the time he needs. He's not in a hurry. And he's taking things that God has defined and things that God has established. And just one little bit at a time, he's making a change here and a change there, putting out this notion and that notion, introducing a little bit more lie and a little less truth. And he's redefining these things. So that God can be who we want him to be. The church can be what we want it to be. The family can be what we want it to be. And now individuals can be whatever they want to be. That's Satan's lie. Among many, that's one of his big ones. Here's the truth. A truth we had better be aware of. Small compromise only leads to larger compromise causing the previously unthinkable to become easily accepted with just a little bit of rationalization. Hear that. A small compromise leads to a large compromise. And it's many small compromises, tiny, tiny, tiny things, one after another, leading up, building up, so I'm only compromising from where I was yesterday. And then I compromise again from where I was the day before. And then all of a sudden, if I was able to look back, I see a mile of space between where I started and where I am now. And all those little compromises turn into a big compromise. 
so that what used to be unthinkable and unmentionable and unreasonable are now something to discuss and debate because we might need to accept them. And when we accept these things, then, then Satan is happy and God is not because we are stepping outside of God's plan. If we create our own gospel, we can have lots of converts. We can have lots of converts. Hey, for 10 bucks, you get a spot in heaven. Just write your name on a $10 bill, put it in the plot, we'll make a list, we'll record it, you're in heaven. I bet I can get 10 bucks from tons and tons of people. Because I'm going to make it easy for them. We do not recreate the gospel, because Jesus Christ is the only way by which our sins can be forgiven, and we do not recreate the other things God has established. The application for today, even though this is really the introduction to the sermon, so you're getting half today, that's all introduction. Here's a small application for you. Because of these things, because of what we've heard today, maybe you have a new understanding of the Trinity. Maybe you have a new understanding of how the church operates. Maybe you're starting to think about the family and how it operates and maybe how you've heard things that aren't quite right. The application is to move towards truth. Always move towards truth and avoid Satan's lies. When you identify a lie of Satan, then you get rid of it. You erase it. You put it out of memory, and you stop putting yourself in places where you're going to hear it. So I'm going to move towards the truth. I'm going to avoid Satan's lives, lies. I'm going to live accordingly. So I'm going to take the truth I've gained, I'm going to put it into practice to replace the areas where the lies have been. So I'm going to get rid of the lies, I'm going to bring in the truth, I'm going to live accordingly. And if you're doing that, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be the light that shines bright. You're going to be the ambassador and people are going to see your good deeds and glorify the God in heaven, and they're going to ask you questions. How, how do you have peace? How are you getting through this? Where does the joy come from that you always have in your heart? Who is it that you pray to at lunch? They start asking you questions about your faith and about your Christianity, about your actions, and those are open doors then to say, well, I'm praying to Jesus Christ. I have hope because the Holy Spirit lives within me. There are promises in Scripture that tell me about my future. That's why I have peace, because it doesn't matter what happens here. I have, I have eternity to look forward to. You start answering these questions, and hopefully in that process, you'll have a chance to share the gospel. And then maybe you'll get a chance to lead someone to Christ. I'll, I'll say this again. I've said it many times. There's only one thing that we cannot do in heaven that we can do on earth as believers. That is share the gospel with the unsaved. That is the ultimate goal of everything. Our behavior, our allegiance, our praise, our worship, our Bible study, our righteous living is, is all done so that we can represent God to someone else so they can be saved. Well, that's all introduction. Next week we're going to dig a little deeper. So be here. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that, that you give us examples that we can follow. And then you structure all the things that we're supposed to be a part of based on that example. And, and you show us how to, how to coexist and how to get along and how to operate and the attitudes to have. Lord, let us develop those attitudes in our own lives, in our own structures. May we become who you want us to be May we live the life you want us to live. And Lord, when we get a chance, give us the boldness to share our faith, 
and, and, and to talk about the gospel. And Lord, may we have the pleasure of leading someone to Christ. I pray that as we continue this thought process, that it becomes more clear and, and becomes an effective teaching in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.